Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You should acknowledge that God is the source of all good things. He is the one who gives all good things. And if it's good, it comes from God, even though in this world it's full of junk. The world's messed up. All of us can see that. And from the time we did see our ancestors reach out and rebel against God's rules, there came all these consequences on the planet and everything else on this earth that used to be good started to get messed up. Welcome to Focal Point. Well, tomorrow you'll likely enjoy a Thanksgiving meal, time with family and friends, and all the good things that come with this holiday celebration. And if you need help getting into the grateful mood, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares a helpful reminder about our blessings and who deserves our thanks. I'm Dave Drury. We're starting off with a surprising question from Pastor Mike, so you'll want to stay tuned to find out how your thought life impacts the way you celebrate. And now here's a message called A Thankful Thanksgiving. I wonder how often you think in demonic ways. <laughs> There's a good opening question for a sermon right there. How often do you think like a demon? Now, I would venture to say that the temptation that surfaces in the sermon today is probably not something you would naturally categorize as satanic. Uh, but perhaps you should, because the scripture does. And in the text that we're going to study this morning, the outworking of this demonic mindset uh, ends up being a uh, kind of thinking that I think all of us struggle with at one level or another. Um, in short, the idea is how do, we, how do we receive, enjoy, and appreciate God's gifts? And you may think, oh, I, I do fine with that. And I just wonder if we really analyze that, how well we really do at receiving and enjoying and appreciating the things that God gives us. Um, there's a problem, and much like most of Satan's strategies, he loves to uh, cloak himself in some righteous garb to present himself as an angel of light. Um, the problem, when it gets really out of hand, it derives a title in the New Testament, and in our English text, it's translated uh, asceticism. Have you heard that word? Asceticism. If you're an ascetic, right, you are a person who struggles with uh, receiving and enjoying and appreciating God's gifts. I say that because it's um, cloaked in something that is actually a virtue. If you were to do... Um, word study on the word that the Greek New Testament uses that translates into the word asceticism, you'd find the root of the word being the word humility. And it's connected to another word, it's a compound word, of mind, like humility of mind, like my mind is, is, is very humble. And you think, well, that's a good thing. We should all be humble, right? Pride is sin and humility is a virtue, and that's a good thing. But the problem is the kind of mindset that is humble to the place in the person who is rightly called an ascetic, they're, they're interfacing with the things that God gives them in their lives in an unbiblical way. And um, that should be no surprise to us because Satan's got all kinds of strategies to take things that God says are good and to make them bad. And um, one of the ways is for you not to know rightly how to 
receive and enjoy and appreciate the things that God is giving you. So I want to take a look at a passage that can safeguard us against that. Let's start here in verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I'll read it from the English Standard Version. And it reads, Now the Spirit, you'll notice that's a capital S, talking about the third person of the Godhead here, the one who's writing the Bible. Right? The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by. Now we're going to get the by in a minute, but depart from the faith means that this is a kind of problem that begins within the, the walls of the church. This is something that starts with people, as Paul warned the Ephesian elders when he left this town that he's now writing back to, um, there's going to be people from within your own ranks that are going to pull up wrong thinking. They'll start with good theology, but they're going to deviate into ways of thinking that aren't right. And they're going to depart from the faith, and they're going to be devoting themselves to, here's, here's the weird part, right? To deceitful spirits. And, and if there were any doubt of what we were talking about there, right? Deceitful spirits, it gets clear here in the next few words. And teachings of demons. Verse 2, it's going to come through teachers, of course. And he says, it's through the insincerity of liars, not sincere, and they're not telling the truth, whose consciences, they should know better, but the consciences are seared, seared, they're callous, they're burned over, literally that's the word. And so they've kept trying to think in a particular way that's warped their thinking. And what do they do? Well, he gives us two examples, two examples on the table of the kinds of things that they do. They forbid marriage, that's certainly a gift of God from the very beginning, right? This is a gift. And these people say, no, you shouldn't participate in that. And they require abstinence, middle of verse 3, from foods. They require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now that's an interesting mouthful. What does that mean? Well, we'll try to untangle that when we get there. But let's just start with the first two and a half verses. The Spirit says, it's latter times, got people departing from the faith. They start with us. They're in our group. They carry Bibles around. But they start giving themselves over to a lie, right? Things that Satan would want us to believe. Deceitful spirits. Teachings of demons. And, and, and even the leaders who start this, they're not sincere in it. They, they've got consciences that are, that are damaged, and they're asking people to be godly, to be Christians, to be pure, to be holy, to, to say no to certain gifts that God has given. And uh, that becomes a trend and a pattern of the ascetics, that you shouldn't have those things and we shouldn't indulge in those things. And so they obscure the greatness and the glory of God as their evidence through gifts to his people. It's like, no, you shouldn't partake in, in those things. Which, in contradistinction, in the middle of verse 3, God created them to be received with thanksgiving. He meant them to be received and you're rejecting them. You're abstaining from them, but I wanted you to have them. So you can see it's a problem, and it's a problem that he describes in attaching the gift to God and people getting in between that and saying, no, you shouldn't have it. And the people that are getting in between it saying, no, you shouldn't have it, are motivated here, it says, by demonic thinking. And I just want to show you how logical that is in Scripture. Matter of fact, the first demon that you know about on the timeline chronologically is a demon who's really concerned about God getting all the spotlight, all the balloons and confetti, right? God's getting all the attention and, and he's not. And he's supposed to be a part of giving that God attention, giving glory to God. And, and he struggles with that. He wants some of that glory for himself. He'd like to take some, some of that glory, some of that celebration from God and, 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 and appropriate that to himself. 
And then he goes and messes with the creation down here on earth. And he says to Eve, you know, God's trying to keep some glory from you, some good stuff you'd like to have, but he's trying to keep it from you. So he's trying to keep that from you. You should have it. And so he tempts the woman to eat of this tree that God clearly said, don't eat that from that tree. And uh, again, putting this concern in her mind that God's really getting glory, but you should have some of that glory and he shouldn't be, you shouldn't have a corner on all of it. You're going to be like him if you just do this thing. And all I got to say is that Satan would love to get between you and God and make sure that whatever glory and, and honor and, and gratitude and, and whatever celebration you might have that God is great, he'd love for you to, to minimize that. And in a roundabout way, if you follow me here, there's ways that you, in not making a connection in your mind between a good thing that God gives you to enjoy, if you can somehow circumvent that, well, then God doesn't, God doesn't get the glory for that. And that's good, because that's the whole strategy of the enemy. Let's get as much glory away from him as possible. Matter of fact, if I can just put a mirror in front of you and the glory can be about you and not about him, that would be great. All right, let's try to make sense of this. The Bible is uh, presenting God as a God who is invariably good, right? He's immutably good. And you, a very early verse you learn, as a matter of fact, it de depicts all of what I'm trying to present here in the first two and a half verses. And that is that God is the God who is the source of all good things. And we know that from James chapter one, verse 17, right? God, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Right, comes from this perfect God, comes down from the Father of lights through whom there's no shifting shadow, no shadow of variance, because he doesn't move, he doesn't change, he doesn't morph. So we have a God who gives good things. And I think that's where this starts, and we need to jot that down, and then we'll try to explain it. Number one, if you're taking notes, you need to acknowledge the source of, of, of good things. And, and you could add more words to that if you wanted to make it a longer point, but you should acknowledge that God is the source of all good things. He is the one who gives all good things, and if it's good, it comes from God, even though in this world it's full of junk. The world's messed up. All of us can see that, and from the time we did see our ancestors reach out and rebel against God's rules, there came all these consequences on the planet and everything else on this earth that used to be good started to get messed up. So the marring of sin on the planet has messed everything up from Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation 19. And we got a lot of trouble in, in the Bible and it's all sinful. But here's what we learned throughout the Bible. There's good stuff happening that God continues to do on the planet. Like he causes, to quote Jesus, right in the Sermon on the Mount, causes his sun to rise, and that's a good thing, that ball of fusion here as the earth spins, to shine down on the evil and the good. And that's a good thing that keeps us going. And he sends the rains, which nourish the crops, and so we can all have lunch today. He sends the rains on the crops of, of the righteous and the unrighteous, or the just and the unjust. Right? So God is doing good things in a sinful world, even though one farmer might be stealing from the other, right? or one person you know, might be murdering another. Here's all this sin, but there's good things poking through all of this. There's plenty that happens here on earth that still is good, but whatever is good, poking through onto this sinful planet, those things you should be able to trace back to God because if it's bad, you know where it came from, sinful rebellion of angels or men, but if it's good, it's coming from God because with God, there's no shifting shadow, there's no change. He's holy, he's, he's, he's immutable, he doesn't change, and the good things in life, as veiled as they might be for us to see as clearly as we should, as the old hymn says, though the eye of sinful man his glory may not see. I get that there's problems in recognizing some of that, but we should recognize that and we should say there's good here and when the good happens, we attribute it to God. 
if you read the footnote, by the way, in the Hebrew phrase there in Isaiah chapter 6, the whole earth is full of his glory, you'll find there's a way to read that Hebrew phrase. That's, it's, it's like a wish. It's like we would say in Greek, an optative. It's a, it's a, it's a wish. It's a hope. It's a, it's a, it's, we want it to be. It's going to be, which is exactly what Habakkuk 2 says, is that it will be. The glory one day will fill the earth as the waters right, uh, cover the sea. So we know one day the, 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 the wretchedness and the sin and the transgression and the hurt and the pain and the death and the disease, all that will be removed. But it doesn't mean that it's not present now. So however you read that phrase in Isaiah 6, right, the whole earth is full of his glory. You could say full, not to the exclusion of all the bad, because there's plenty of bad in this world. But every time you observe good, you're observing something that God is doing. And what we need to recognize is that's the case. And those that want to take a look at God's good gifts and they want to put some distance between themselves and those gifts and they want to say sometimes for dumb reasons, even though they seem spiritual, like, ah, I don't want to have that, don't, I don't participate in that, I don't need to enjoy that, I'm not worthy of that, whatever your reason might be, right? We don't get the opportunity to draw the connection in the way that we ought to. And we ought to, not just from some intellectual perspective, but often from some experimental perspective that I have had an experience with the good that I'm praising God for here in this, because God is the source of all good things. There's a God who is giving good to this world in all the things that are good in this world, and those should be recognized by us as something coming from him, and the world is in the pattern of saying, well, I don't want to see that connection. I don't want to make that connection. I've got to be the kind of person that says, I know that the non-Christian that I live next door to is going to experience a lot of good gifts of God in this life, from the sunshine to the rain to all the other things that they enjoy, from a good meal to warm you know, nap, whatever they experience, to, to a steak that they had for lunch, to, to seeing the sunset, whatever it is. Those good things are lavished on them. They don't honor God for it. They don't thank God for it. You're supposed to be making those connections. And we're supposed to be saying, hey, there's a difference between me and them in that I see them, I note them. And to the extent even that I receive them and enjoy them, right? I become one who makes that connection to God and I bring glory to God by recognizing his glory and all the gifts that he gives. And unfortunately, asceticism, for whatever the reason, whatever godly sounding reason it is, I'm, I'm cutting off my participation in those things. It's like saying, I'm gonna go out and enjoy barbecuing a rack of, of, of ribs on my barbecue in my backyard. Uh, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the Kleenex and snuff, stuff it up my nostrils so I don't really fully smell it. I wanna see it, I don't wanna really smell it. It's like going on a, on a walk in the high Sierras and all I wanna look at is the tops of my, my hiking boots and the dirt trail and I don't wanna really take in the vistas and, and I don't wanna experience all that because I, I, I I, I, there's enough here for me to deal with. There's a lot of reasons people like to have this narrow view of me being this, this lowly worm that really doesn't deserve to take in these wonderful things and I don't really have any reason that God would, would honor me and give me these gifts. I mean, I get that you have that mentality sometimes, but it's a kind of humility that's leading to a demonic kind of disconnect between God's great gifts that should motivate praise and, and, and gratitude to God. And instead, we think we're being godly when in fact we're not, and it all starts within the walls of the church when people say things that in reality are not biblical, though they sound good. Now, before you say to me, there's a time to say no to God's gifts. And of course, I am saying, this is no license for greed or self-indulgence or, you know, if the good things in this world are to be enjoyed, I'm just gonna go get as many good things as possible and enjoy it to the full. And you could say, I'm becoming a glutton or I'm becoming a, a greedy materialist or whatever. And, and of course, I'm not saying that. 
Matter of fact, look later in this passage. You go back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 4, drop down to verse 7 when he, I mean, I guess I stopped in verse 5, so let's read verse 6. So I'm not letting anything out of your eyeballs here. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and a good doctrine that you follow. Now, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And there's a lot of them that, that float around under the rubric of godliness. But don't. Rather, right, instead of, here's the things you ought to be working on. Train yourself for godliness. That word, by the way, is the Greek word we get the word gymnastics from. And it certainly gives you that feeling of, of, of work and effort and sweat. Train yourself for godliness. I'm thinking about training myself. Well, it's not like having two pieces of cheesecake and sleeping in and, and skipping the gym. You're thinking about, wow, that sounds like an analogy of, of training. Well, immediately that comes to mind, verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, right, and, and that's what it takes for bodily training, you can't just indulge in whatever feels good, right? Godliness is of value in every way. But it is like that. It feels like that. Sometimes it is depriving things from, what, from your life. Because when you do, when you're training yourself for godliness, it holds a promise not only for the present life, but for the one to come. So I am going to say yes. Is there a time to fast? Yes. Is there a time for us not to even say to someone who says, you know, I'm going to renounce marriage for the sake of the kingdom? Jesus said, yes, there's a time for that. Even Paul, when the question was being addressed, which was a question of the ascetics, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it seems like if I'm really godly, I wouldn't be interested in sex, and so I shouldn't get married. And, and Paul says, stop, stop with that. That is not true. He makes a case now for domestically and logically considering the fact that domestic life comes with a lot of things you got to focus on. And if you're not gifted to be single, right, you, you are going to involve yourself in a lot of things like your kid's dental plan or his braces that you probably aren't going to think about if you're just leading in a church, right, and you're single. So he says, singleness is a preferred thing if you have the gift. But he says, one man has one gift and another man has another. And of course, he even describes in that passage that the general default is most people are not going to be gifted to be single. And it certainly is not the deprivation from the pleasures of marital conjugal relationships is not in some way equated with godliness. Contra a lot of church movements that have said, yes, if you really be godly, you got to be celibate. That's not how this works. And yet, he does say there can be advantages. Just like I can say, you know, not indulging in God's gifts has an advantage. There are things like fasting. When you fast, Jesus says, he's assuming that you're going to have times that you fast where you're not going to indulge in things. Okay. With that said, we can learn something from the pattern of God in the scripture and the pattern of the ascetics. The ascetics had a pattern of saying, my general view on life is deprivation. My general view on life is I'm not going to enjoy those things. I'll be godly if I just, if I just hold back and, and fast from those things, whatever they might be. And that's their general position on life. God right, shows us the proper role, I believe, and I don't make too much of the patterns in Scripture, but the pattern of Scripture. If I think about like the festivals of the Old Testament in worship, okay, the worship of the Old Testament, particularly the festivals of the Old Testament, were like seven to one that they would be feasting and celebrating and rejoicing and singing and pulling out all the stops on feasting as opposed to the one in the calendar where you were supposed to deprive yourself. There was one day, right, called the day of Yom Kippur. So one of the holidays on the Jewish calendar, God says, yes, you're going to fast for one day. And all I'm going to tell you is there, is there a time to say no? Right. 
Of course there is. But the general default in God's calendar is uh, just the opposite. Listen to this from Leviticus chapter 23. If you haven't read this lately, it's a good one. Verse 39 starts this paragraph. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate, here's a good word, the feast of the Lord. Got this? From 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. No, here's what it says, for seven days. Well, that changes the whole view of things, doesn't it? I mean, from three to six, that's a pretty good feast for me, right? Uh, but no, for seven days. On the first day, I just want you to rest. Put your feet up. Solemn rest. On the eighth day, I just want you to rest. Put your feet up. You shall take on the first day all the fruit of the splendid trees. Get the best of the produce. Take the palm branches of the palm trees and the boughs of the leafy trees and the willows of the brooks, and you shall come and bring them together and rejoice before the Lord for seven days. You will celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days. Are you getting the idea it's supposed to last for seven days? For seven days. And it is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. I just, I could keep looking through all of the things that God asks Israel to do as they stop and think about their God. Most of it is characterized by feasting and celebration and gladness, which is really easy when you're sitting back at the end of day five and you're digesting your fifth day of feasting to think about the amazing bounty of what God has done in the fields and providing you with all the splendid fruit and all the food that you've just eaten and to sit back and say, wow, God is good. And he wants his children to understand that. I am the source of these good things. And most of the celebrations of scripture are not depriving yourself. They're not saying no to engaging in the gifts of God. Does it happen? Sure, it happens. Is there a time for it? Yes. Is there a time to train yourself? Yes. There's even a time in marriage, it says, to say no to even conjugal relationships for a time for, for prayer. But make it short, he says, because the average engagement in what God has given us, right, is for us to enjoy these things. They're gifts of God. They reflect the glory of God. And it's Satan that wants to get between you and the gifts of God and seeing the greatness of God in those gifts. Satan does not want you to see the goodness, the generosity, the joy, the pleasures that God brings as he brings into your life the good things that he's provided for you. Pastor Mike will be back in just a moment, so stick around. You're listening to Focal Point and the message, A Thankful Thanksgiving, from Pastor Mike Fabares. Today's program is available at focalpointradio.org and on the Focal Point app. Well, today's message reminds us to think about the good things that God brings into our lives, but it's tempting to look around at what God has given to others, and that's when a dangerous enemy creeps in. Pastor Mike? Yeah, I do think one of the most destructive threats we're facing today, believe it or not, is envy. In an age of materialism and social media, envy has crept into most of our daily lives. And whether you know it or not, it's damaging our relationships. It's rotting our culture from the inside out. The envy, it's an insidious and pervasive sin. But thankfully, there's hope. I wrote a new book called Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had to show you how to overcome this corrosive sin and live a contented and joyful Christian life. By understanding how we as Christians are meant to live, you're going to discover how to truly rejoice with those who rejoice. In my book, I explore biblical truths that are going to help you shore up your heart and your mind and close those gaps that leave us vulnerable to envy's temptations. Learn how to live well and read my new book, Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. Dave's going to explain how you can get your copy. 
Thanks, Mike. You can request a copy of Pastor Mike's brand new book when you make a generous donation to Focal Point. Pastor Mike dedicated a lot of time to researching this topic, and he's sharing his findings in his newest book. So call or go online to make a one-time financial gift or to become a monthly Focal Point partner and request your copy of Envy at focalpointradio.org or by calling 888-320-5885. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation and request Pastor Mike's newest book by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us tomorrow to hear the conclusion of A Thankful Thanksgiving. Hope to see you Thanksgiving Day for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.